burn your boats. Give yourself absolutely no other option. Have one vigorous focus on one thing and you will succeed because you absolutely have no choice. Most people don't take that, but I dare you once in your life to actually try because you will do it. You will be amazed at what you can do. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saber. Hey, this is Jerry Saver, and you're listening to episode 49 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show, the podcast about the people creating the plant-based future and running vegan brands, where you can get inspired, learn how they got to where they are, what's their approach, and what works when you're setting up your own plant-based business. Now, you know those natural cosmetic stores where soaps and creams are exhibited and measured out like candy? When I was a kid, I would occasionally try and take a bite of that. And as you can probably imagine, that never ended well. But the reason I'm sharing this with you is because recently I came across a brand of vegan cosmetics on Kickstarter that's marketing their products as natural enough to eat. Now, in fact, the founders are demonstrating that on video and their approach seems to be paying off because they blew way past their funding goal and they actually reached about 300% of the amount they were trying to raise, which places them right at the top of their category on Kickstarter, not just for vegan products. So I've got one of them, Jamie Friesen from Natural Vegan with me today to talk about their skincare products, their crowdfunding approach, and the big plans they have for the brand. So Jamie, Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you for um, joining me. And just before we got started, was I correct with the 250%? Because that was the last time I checked you were thereabouts, right? Yeah. We're actually, we're approaching about 270% now. And oh, wow. today's actually our last day. So it, it, the campaign ends today at about one o'clock our time in an hour, actually. Just to be clear, we're recording this in mid-December. This, this interview is going to be going out in January. So... Um, by the time you're listening to it, the crowdfunding campaign will have ended. But like I said, you definitely blew way past your goal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, we're, we're very happy with it. It was a really, really good experience. Our first crowdfunding thing that I've ever done myself or with the business. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. Nice. Now, I'm definitely going to be asking you a lot of questions about that later. But let's start with some personal background because I know you've got some entrepreneurial roots. So... How early did you actually get started in business? I got started in my first makeshift kind of company when I was about 13 years old. And what I would do is I'd steal my dad's credit card and I would order iPhone and Blackberry parts from China. And my brother and I, we started this and we would go around to all the different high schools, just hitching rides with people because I was 13 and couldn't drive, obviously. And we would just customize Blackberries. That's when I that was a big fad. And we'd fix iPhones when they started coming in. And, and that was kind of before everybody started doing it. And we made actually pretty good money compared to a lot of our friends that were working part-time jobs and whatnot. That was kind of funny. And then uh, I've owned a landscaping business, a digital marketing agency, a clothing line in the Vancouver, Canada area here. And yeah, a couple other things, but those are the most notable. Nice. I'm guessing your dad didn't really mind because it sounds like you were doing pretty good with, with that business. <laughs> I don't know about that. He, uh, he certainly wasn't too happy at some of the ideas we had over the years, but he put up with it and let us do our thing, let us fail and let us learn. And that's what matters. And you grew up around Vancouver? 
I grew up in Langley, Aldergrove area, which is a smaller town on the outskirts of Vancouver. Yeah. Cool. And now before we got to natural vegan, I wanted to ask a few questions about your experience with the tech space, because I know that was your last stop before you, you started this business, right? It was. Yeah. Yeah. What was it exactly? So the company that I worked for and that I ended up managing was a SaaS telecommunications business and the products that we built and that we sold and marketed and whatnot were electronic fax, a VoIP product. And then we were also getting into live chat, help desk ticketing and things like that. But our main product that I managed was an electronic fax product. And in the later year or so that I was with them, I also designed their VoIP product. So that I was with them for about three years. Um, it was a very, very great experience for me. Uh, all the other businesses that I had, I learned a lot of lessons, but this particular experience is run with this big business, tied all my experience and, and my knowledge together on top of giving me more. So uh, I'd never really had the resources to fully carry out my ideas in my own startups and whatnot, but now I was finally given that chance to do so. So when I joined, we were doing about $3 million a year, and myself and the CEO, we worked side by side, and we built that up and tripled our revenue in about three years' time. So it was a huge growth spurt for us, for me as an individual. And in the last two years or so, the CEO had moved on to build other products and to deal with some other personal things. So I got to run the business myself for about two years' time, and it was really great. We had about a 50-man team, some in the Philippines, some in Malaysia, some in uh, the United States, and some in Canada. Wow, that's pretty impressive, both the growth and the team size. But um, the way I understand it, something didn't quite feel right for you at the end. I mean, obviously, you were looking for a different sort of challenge. Yeah, the way I function is it has always been... As long as I'm learning, I'm generally okay. And I learned what I needed to about business through, well, about that particular business and whatnot throughout the first two years, maybe. And after that, I was really just not feeling it anymore. The CEO and I weren't getting along anymore. He was very much just about money, very financially focused. The business in itself has no impact as far as I'm concerned to humanity and the betterment of the world at all. And those are the things that I've always wanted to get into. So I knew eventually that I would need to leave. So I actually put out a plan to leave in about a year's time. And then in October, the natural vegan team and I, we were all on the farm and we spent some time there. And we all love going there. We moved back and forth from the farm in Rock Creek down to our facility down here in, in the Langley area by the border. So we go up there and it's always a very relaxing kind of fun time. After that weekend, I just, <laughs> I came home the next day on the Monday and I'm like, okay, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And I, yeah, I left. Where, where did that impulse come from wanting to impact the world and do something more meaningful? I've had that from a very, very young age. I think I've always had a very close relationship with nature. I am a native Indian. I have a native Indian background. So growing up, we were very much a part of that culture. And I think that had a large impact as well. My mom's side also taught me a little bit more about spiritual development, personal development, things like that. So 
those two things affected me at a very young age. I think that had a huge, huge impact on my personality and who I am. And even from the early age of about 12 or 13, I always had this grand vision of getting into radical alternative energy technologies and owning a farm such as we do now that's completely off grid and all of those things. I've always kind of had it in me from a very young age and, and that's my guess at least. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure what else, maybe media influenced here and there. Yeah. And the natural vegan team, this is something that had started before, right? Because originally we were supposed to be doing this interview with your co-founder, Hannah, who got sick and, and couldn't join us. But um, how long has that been going on before you got involved in the business? Yeah. So I'll give a little bit about Hannah's background since she can't make it today. Uh, so Hannah's been making these products for years and she has been selling to friends and family and things like that and kind of honing in her skill set for a while and she's owned a couple of her own businesses in the past uh, as far as she's owned a cleaning company in the lower mainland here and whatnot so i actually became friends with hannah's boyfriend and i was i'm always up for trying local things and he mentioned that hannah you know makes some cool natural vegan products and whatnot so i said okay well that's cool like i'll try some so i started buying some off hannah and i really liked them and then she mentioned a couple of times wanting to make it bigger, scaled up a little bit. And I started looking at the market and I thought, you know what? I actually think that this would be a really, really good idea. So her and I sat down and we talked and laid out a plan and went from there. And that happened about a year, over a year ago now, just over a year. Okay. So, and this Kickstarter campaign was launched in November, right? Mid-November. Yeah. So it was basically one year of just R&D to, to get to this point? Yeah, pretty much. That was a big, big barrier was actually just trying to get natural products that actually work. <laughs> like anybody out there who's ever tried natural products, one of the biggest things we hear is that, well, I mean, I tried this and I tried that and it never works. And we are well aware of that because we've tried them all ourselves. So yeah, it took us a year to hone in products that are actually acceptable and up to the same standards or as close as you can possibly get to mainstream products. In in what sort of terms? So products that don't work in, in the sense that you can't use them to clean yourself or products that don't work in the term that they simply spoil on the shelf because they're so natural? Both actually um, and more. So for example, deodorant is a good example of natural products that most people find don't work and natural deodorant People find that it, it doesn't work, it doesn't last all day, maybe it doesn't even last at all. I don't know, as, as, as far as you know, doing what deodorant needs to do. Shampoo and conditioners, natural ones just don't work as well as mainstream ones and so on and so forth. And also consistencies and textures. So we've had products that do work and they work fine, but maybe they're not in the form that people want. For example, toothpaste versus tooth powder or a shampoo bar versus a liquid shampoo shampoo bars are very very easy to make and they're very effective they work very well but people don't like using them you mm -hmm. know 95 percent of people want regular liquid shampoo so we've had to then create an awesome regular liquid shampoo so yeah a lot of things and right down to textures and whatnot I, we, I, I'm, I'm very detail oriented so is Hannah so that took us a while and then shelf life as well shelf life we've had to integrate into a part of our business plan because we are a subscription box based business. So that way we can ship our products completely fresh to our customers every 30 days. Nice. 
Was that one of the main goals when you were launching the business to be subscription-based too? Actually, a year ago when we were first starting, it wasn't at all. A year ago when we were first starting, we expected just to be a regular e-commerce store and, and getting into some local stores and things like that. But the more longer we did it and the more we looked into it, the larger the vision came. And coming from the SaaS industry, I'm accustomed to residual income and I have learned the power of residual income and I love it. I don't think that I would start a business that isn't based on residual income. So for that reason, I started looking around on how we're going to do this. And then it started falling into place. Like that's how we're going to make our products completely natural is by having that because then we don't need a shelf life. Um, so it, yeah, a couple things kind of clued in there over the first year of development, which has created what we are doing today. I think this is a pretty cool opportunity to just dig in into the whole path from idea to getting those products out and see what were the basic goals when you were starting out and what was the actual end results. So um, were there any big pivots along the way that you actually started out thinking, okay, this is what we want to do and then realized halfway through that, okay, we need to do it way differently to succeed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of times. I mean, at first, we were trying to just bootstrap things and just kind of get going. And the products really weren't as good as they needed to be. And we quickly, quickly got that feedback. And then we knew that we had to go back to the drawing board. And that put us into a year of research and development. And then by the time we started getting the products kind of at the level that we needed them, then we realized why we're we using such heavy plastic bottles, for example. They're heavy to ship, they're not sustainable, so on and so forth. So we started looking into more sustainable methods because the problem we found is you could go to Costco and buy a large bottle of something that has a preservative in it and it would be ecologically better because you get more and it lasts longer versus us sending you a bottle every month. We're wasting plastic. It's, you mm -hmm. know, it's not good for the environment. So that was another thing is finding, developing, creating our own biodegradable packaging. So that's what we've been doing the past few months. And that was, that was a, a very big barrier as well. But we've, we're, we're, we love the packaging that we've formed. It's better for the environment. Much of it is actually completely biodegradable to the point where you can throw it in your compost and it's totally fine. And it's also better for shipping. We've, we've lowered our carbon footprint as well because it's lighter and takes up less space. So you've actually developed your own packaging. Yeah, some of it. Some of it we've been forced to use stuff that is kind of the best on the market right now. For example, spout bags. It's still plastic, but it is 95% less plastic and it squishes into, uh, into packaging better so that it it lowers the, the carbon footprint and our cost of shipping so we can pass that on to the customers. But then other times we've, we've used combinations of cardboard and hemp paper to make uh, packaging completely biodegradable in push tubes and jars and in certain packaging for certain bars of soap that need to be held together and solidified in case they were heated up during the shipping process. Mm -hmm. And um, you mentioned that going in, you, you got feedback pretty fast. How did you do that? So obviously you were either selling those products or handing them out to focus groups to, to learn what works and what doesn't. Yeah, we, we do the handout style. We just give a bunch of free stuff away to everybody and then just 
at first we were just taking verbal feedback from the community and our group of friends and family and so on and so forth, random old friends and whatnot. Uh, but then as we started building an email marketing list, we, before we launched with our new products, we've actually sent them out to about 600 people to get feedback on them. So we send them in small sample bags and then they fill out a form and a survey and they let us know their thoughts on the certain differences about them, whether it be consistency or how well it works, how they feel afterwards and so on and so forth. And through that process, we've really been able to hone in on, on our products. Yeah. How, how many products are we talking about here? In total, 17 products. And those are all base products. So we're launching with, for example, shampoos. We should have three shampoos, you know, some for dry and damaged hair, some for regular and some for hair that's already, you know, a little bit oily, for example. But right now it's just our baseline just so we can get up and going. And they generally work for, you know, 50 to 60 percent of people. And then we will be branching out and creating more. Just trying to think of 17 different skincare products. And I'm, I'm afraid <laughs> I'm drawing a blank here. So um, would you mind helping me out here? I don't know if I can list off all of them. So we'd have, um, the other thing is, is about it is that we actually have bar versions. We have solid versions of everything. So that's something to keep into right. account. So for example, shampoo, shampoo bar, conditioner, conditioning bar, a body wash and a body wash bar, exfoliating bar, toothpaste, deodorant, moisturizing lotion, lip balm. Um, then you get into coffee scrubs and we have a, a muscle solve, uh, like for sore muscles, a muscle solve for sore muscles. And we have like a bamboo toothbrush, sustainable bamboo toothbrushes, sustainable loofahs. And then there's, there's a few others that I'm sure I'm missing. Are you doing any shaving products as well? Not yet. We will in the future. Right now, we've been going through surveys and just asking most popular products. And then we've been making them our priority from there. Just checking because that's a big pet peeve of mine. It's really hard to find good natural shaving products. Yeah, we, we do expect to get into that area for sure. Cool. I'm looking forward to that. So who's the, is Hannah the main research person on your team? Yeah, she is the full creator and owner of all of the products. So she does that all on her own. She's completely product and, and myself, I'm completely business. Cool. And how much of a team is there? Right now, everybody's really working for free which is amazing we have we've been inspiring and and really have an amazing group of people around us that are willing to help and right now it consists of myself hannah full-time videographer and photographer we have a programmer on the team that is helping build out the website the, the sales flow and on all of the custom features and a, and a mobile app for android and ios and then we have some people helping us here and there with social media and things like that. But other than that, at the stage we are right now, we have lots of volunteers that are ready to come on board when we start scaling up for putting out more product in the new year. But yeah, right now, that's really all we need. Great. And how does the production look like? Because you show some really nice shots of handcrafting soaps and creams on the Kickstarter page. Is that how it's currently done? It is. Yeah. Everything is completely handmade. So we are going to scale that up a little bit. With our current facilities, we can produce about a thousand items a month. So we can take on about a thousand customers. And then from there, we would have to scale up. And we've already been working with an architect to design our own fully sustainable mini factory, be about 40 by 40. And it would, uh, it should be able to service if we put it together efficiently, about 30,000 customers. Okay. 
So is that a thousand products total or a thousand of each of those 17 products? Well, everybody's subscription box will be different. So they're all made to ship, right? Mm -hmm. So every day we would basically, or like a few days prior, we would get a full export of all the products that need to go out by a certain date. And we would make sure that we get all those products done that day. Now, exactly. I mean, it would work a little bit more differently than that because uh, you, you, we would maintain efficiency on how many products that we're making each day and just stack them. But the whole point is, is that they need to be made fresh within one to three days prior to being shipped out. Right. So that's really almost like the epitome of on-time production. You're, you're getting in the orders and then you custom make those products to, to ship out in within the next two to three days. Exactly. Well, actually, we would like we, we like to stay proactive. So we would like to ship out the same day. Now, for new customers, yeah, we it might take we maybe the same day or maybe the next day. But if you're a customer that is on a subscription plan, and then the next month comes up, it should be shipped out this is the exact day that that is received. How does that work out for scaling up? Yeah, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> you know, that's going to be a whole nother thing. And this is all new to me. But the reality is, is right now, I just don't know. We need to get in all of the big equipment that we need. So then we can start to really feel it out and do, you know, do what McDonald's did. We need to go in and we need to recreate the factory specifically for the products that we're making and make it as efficient as possible. So basically looking at the whole floor plan and then figuring out exactly where the big I don't even know what the soap making facilities are called, but got you got your pots and burners and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, where all the big machinery go, where where the massive mixers go and everything, where everybody's stationed, where the packaging is coming in, where the ingredients are coming in and where it's going out. And yeah, it needs to be full on down to a T. And I've started making sketches and whatnot, but until we start scaling up, until we know exactly how that process works and we run through it ourselves a couple of times, we just won't be able to do it. We need to have physically be standing in that location. So, so right now you are aiming to launch to a thousand subscribers first and then see how that goes and, and scale up. Exactly. And right now our launch is going to be with an affiliate program just because we're running out of money really fast. That's kind of what happens, I guess, when you're personally funded and, and you quit your job. <laughs> so, I mean, the Kickstarter campaign was great. It will give us enough ingredients and way more than enough packaging to get us likely through the first four or five months for most things, which is awesome. And then we really just need marketing and we've put together prices and, and made our margins appropriate to accommodate for an affiliate program. So that's what we're, that's what we're going to do. And we've made an awesome amount of partners and whatnot through the attention we got from our Kickstarter campaign. So mm -hmm. with those, we think we'll hit our thousand customers probably within the first month. And is that Canada only or are you planning to ship to the States as well? Oh yeah, to the States. The majority of our market will be in the US. Our, okay. um, our location is actually right next to the border near Vancouver there. So that's really great. We actually fit, we hand make everything. We physically put it in the truck and drive it across the border and then ship out using USPS. And there's no issues with importing soap to the United States or any other skincare products? 
No, we're registered with the FDA and with Health Canada. So it's, it's not an issue. When we start bringing in, if it's $800 or more within one day, within the same load, then you have to start paying some import, import fees. But other than that, I mean, every business has to pay those. So we're not worried. Yeah. Okay. You know, speaking of Kickstarter, that's first of all, like I said, 270%. That's, uh, that's pretty impressive. What do you think contributed the most to, to this success? Well, we were rushed, very rushed. So when I left the tech industry, it was two weeks prior to, when, to the time we needed to launch. <laughs> so we really did not have much time at all. Um, the reason we decided to launch earlier is, is, one, we wanted to be able to get stuff out to people by Christmas. So we thought that that would help. And also, it's the busiest online shopping time of the year. Mm -hmm. So we thought that online traffic might help as well. Uh, and we knew that January wouldn't be a good time and we didn't want to wait till February. So we said, okay, it's better just to rush it, do it in two weeks and get it launched. So I'd say the, the biggest factors were one would be reach outs and partners, reaching out to partners, just like cold emailing, cold calling people, uh, videography, a, a marketing budget proved very important and having great rewards to offer people. Yeah, I, I figured some of that might have to do with videography because when you started listing people on your team i noticed that okay you said you've got hannah who's in charge of research and production and then you're in charge of business and then the next person you listed i think was the videographer and and the programmer so yes. you're you're covering your bases there yeah yeah for sure it's a pretty well-rounded team we're all good friends we're all very passionate for it right now and it's uh yeah no it's it's been a lot of fun actually like People like working with us just because we have a lot of fun with, with what we're doing. And so like some of the videos are just absolutely hilarious. We just love working together. If, if anybody wants to go check them out on our Facebook page and stuff, we do some pretty comical stuff. Some, some of it's a little bit too vulgar for some people. So if you're not into that, then maybe don't check it out. <laughs> but, um, I think more people will check it out now. <laughs> yeah, we, we worked with a, a local old granny and did some pretty vulgar stuff just about not using chemicals in your products and she's swearing and that one got like a hundred shares. I put it in one group, posted in one group, got like a hundred shares within the same day. So that little bit of viral ability using videography and a little bit of creative marketing, that went a long, long way with our Kickstarter campaign. That was very important for marketing. Live Kindly, which is a big page. They share a lot of animal-related stuff and activity-related stuff, anything that's kind of like good news type stuff. So we reached out to them, and we, we built a – it's like a wheelchair almost for Crowley, which is Hannah and Stephen's rescue pig. So Crowley was stepped on in, on a farm when he was being raised, and they tried to throw him away, and Hannah and Stephen – picked him up and raised him. And as he grew older and bigger, he lost use of his back legs so he could no longer walk. So we built him a wheelchair so that he could start to rehabilitate himself and, and use his back legs again. And uh, Connor put together, videographer Connor, put together a really nice video for that. And then we sent that out to Live Kindly and they blasted out to a bunch of people. And that alone must have got us like 40 to 50 packers. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And, um, you know, yeah, I, I did speak to, um, to Jody a couple of months ago on, on the podcast. So I, I know that Live Kindly definitely has a lot of reach, but um, who else did you reach out to? Like just to get a feel for, um, you know, what, what kind of network you started building to promote this Kickstarter? 
everyone and every organization we could possibly find. <laughs> we, we are the biggest, the biggest part of it. As soon as we hit the ground running and decided to do Kickstarter, that's the first thing we did is it started a, a Google sheet and just started going down a list. And our goal was to reach out to 500. We almost got there. We did just over 400, under 450. And we, our conversion rate was roughly one in 12 would respond and one in eight roughly would, would actually want to partner with us. So that was actually a lot. That was a lot more than we were expecting. And I mean, one of them even being yourself and your partners and whatnot, which is amazing connections for us. So like vegan outreach, the happy cow app, mm-hmm. we worked and we, we got to some, some pretty big, some pretty big podcasts as well. Some of the top three vegan podcasts out there and uh, made a lot of really cool connections. You know, even the founders of the dollar beard club reached out to us as well and just gave us some advice and things like that. So yeah, it was, it was really, really cool. And, and to me, I knew we were going to reach the Kickstarter goal, but it was really about the, the network that you establish when you make a splash. Like that. So that's what's important moving forward now. But yeah, without those partners, we would not have been successful. Without the videography, we would not have been successful. And a marketing budget came in handy too. You know, when you're putting together some decent videos, you need to be able to boost it. You need to be able to market it on Facebook. And also email lists by far were the most effective when we were going out to partners, we were looking for partners specifically with large reach and large email lists. So that's, that was, yeah, happy cow alone probably got us another 40 or 50 subscribers. With happy cow, did you partner with them as an affiliate or was that part of your marketing or I'm just asking because I know a bit about how they would usually work. Yeah. So normally they, charge like I think 10 cents an email for their to do to send like a private email blast and we barter them down and said look this is how much attention we're going to be getting on our campaign we'll throw your logo all over everything all over our videos all over the campaign our website and so on and so forth and um, we managed to barter them down to about six or seven cents an email so that helped us that made it affordable for us and we blasted out to almost 20,000 people and that gives a huge boost yeah. Have you ever done a Kickstarter campaign before? Nope. This was my first. This was your first one. Yeah. Well, you definitely blew it out of the water then. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Everybody gets excited. Me, if it hit 50 grand, I would, you know, then I would start getting excited. With the fact that we went 270% over, I think that's, that's awesome. And we learned a lot. If I were to do it again, I think we could hit 50,000 and we could go we could really scale it. We could really, really scale it after learning what I've learned the first time. The things that you've learned, is there anything that you're happy to share here and be stuff that can be applied to other crowdfunding campaigns? Yeah. I mean, if I did it again, I would take more time for one. We only had two weeks and I hope it would be, if you had more people, it would be, it would be better. I mean, when, when, when you're definitely reach out and, and partners was the most effective thing. So well, the most effective thing that's free. So if you had a team of people that were actually willing to help out with that, that would be a lot because after 250 reach outs, you start to get a little bit discouraged and a little bit bored, to be honest. So just from a mental standpoint, either have a longer stretch of time 
And also, most people want more, more of a heads up. I, I could only give them a, a one or two week heads up to mm-hmm. us when they could start doing email blasts or something for us. And like we, we have, we're going to be in a bunch of magazines in the new year and whatnot and, and all, these, all these crazy like features, but it didn't help us so much for the campaign because it was too, it was too early. Uh, so I would say give yourself at least three, three to four months to plan and uh, do reach outs. I would do a minimum of 500. If we, if we did three months, I'd probably do 1,000 to 1,500 reach outs and make some really, really hardcore partners videography and social media i would have planned all of those social posts and the viral videos and whatnot pre-scheduled all of them for the life of the campaign because when you're in the middle of the campaign and you're freaking out and doing all these things and dealing with people and partners you don't have time to do social media so i didn't leave my desk for the first two weeks of the campaign i slept in here ate in here worked all day every day trying to get stuff done, making sure social media is on there. So it's more effective to just pre-schedule all of those things. And then marketing budget, we kind of just got frantic and started throwing money around. We lucked out and it worked and we, we made our money back on those. But I would strategically have picked the proper, the proper people to go to and focus on emails, focus on email lists, focus on blog posts, focus on things with clickable links to people. That's what I found. A ton of radio interviews and a ton of podcasts and whatnot. But if there wasn't a blog post or something with a link through that mm-hmm. people can click, it just wasn't nearly as effective. Yeah. Talking about it can get people's attention. But when, when was the last time you heard about something and then you actually went and, and Googled it? Yeah, exactly. It's more of a broad brand style marketing mm-hmm. in the long run. Yeah, so yeah, for, for short-term effective marketing, I would say everything needs to have a clickable link for sure. So yeah, that and uh, great rewards. Just make sure that your rewards are something that people are actually going to want. Like we were giving away all 17 of our products for like $70, which is crazy because normally that would cost like $200 or more. And then not to mention if you're going and trying to find another natural brand, which are normally priced very high, that's like $400 worth of products. That's, that's absolutely insane. So that's another thing that really got people enticed, really good early bird specials as well. And then you get into all these things like um, Funded Today or Crowdster or all these things that have a network already and mm-hmm. help you scale. So that's like when people go in into Kickstarter and they see all these crazy, crazy successful campaigns that are in the millions, they're spending a ton of money on marketing. So and they usually partner with Funded Today and and Crowdster and things like that. So yeah, I would definitely start those arrangements early and have those people in mind and know their fees because they usually have fees. Next time I would partner with one of them now that I know how to do it. The other thing is build an email marketing list. We started handing out free samples to people and building an email marketing list. So when we went into it, we already had a couple thousand people for an email marketing list and uh, that helped a lot. Yeah, see, that's one thing that probably works in pretty much any industry, any business that, that you're doing. And no matter how prominent social media gets, I think that the, the power in email is just so much bigger and will continue to be so because you're still getting directly in front of people with, with an email. Absolutely. I say that to people all the time. And I think 
our generation is so obsessed with social media. New entrepreneurs coming into the scene, all I ever hear them talk about is social this, social that, and they don't know the power of email marketing and they don't know the power of PPC. They don't know the power of paid marketing. All they're looking at is social media because they think it's free, but it's very long-term and the conversion just isn't there. So for me personally, it's great, but for me at least, it comes after PPC and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, speaking of conversion rates, do you have any data, any metrics that you're willing to share regarding the actual cost per backer? on Kickstarter or are there any averages, especially when you're working with one of those bigger brands, bigger networks that you can expect to pay to, to have one person back in your campaign? I can't actually. And there, I mean, a couple of reasons why one, we had such a diverse amount of people coming from different areas, but as far, one of the biggest paid marketing that we did was with happy cow. So happy cow, we ended up paying, I don't know, what was it, like 1500 bucks or something for about 20,000 emails. And we probably got 60 backers from it, which accumulated to $4,000, $4,500. So just putting in numbers there, you spend 1500 4500 yeah, three, 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 three to one profit. Yeah. It's like three to one ROI. Yeah, we made $1,500 profit, but to us, it's all about the network. That's also where we met, you know, founders of, of the Beard Club and whatnot. They reached out to us because they got an email from Happy Cow. And that's what we were looking for. You know, that's one of the things that we were excited about is anyone's email could be on the list. Somebody famous, somebody who is, you know, a big entrepreneur or something. So I wasn't worried about the money. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it paid itself off. And um, you... To, to get to that marketing budget for the Kickstarter, you, you were doing a lot of bootstrapping, right? There wasn't much funding going into that from other investors or loans. Oh, no, no. We haven't taken in any investment. Everything's just been personally funded. Over the past year, I had just been putting my salary into it here and there where we needed it. And then when I quit, I put I was all in. I put everything that I had, which wasn't much. <laughs> but yeah, no investors yet. How much of a leap was it? Because you quit your job to, to launch this brand, right? Well, yeah, pretty much. The first year wasn't much of a leap. The first year was kind of just sitting back. It takes a long time to develop products and we had to be patient. But as soon as I quit, I got off the phone. I sat back down. I exited all the tabs that had to do with work. And I just started immediately on Natural Vegan full time. Never looked away from my computer. 16 hours a day for the first four weeks at least until I knew we doubled our, our budget or doubled our mark on Kickstarter. I never left my desk. To me, it wasn't a big leap. So what I'm trying to get to here is, are, are there any lessons that you can share for, for other entrepreneurs, other people who are thinking about launching a brand or they have something going already, but they still haven't taken that, that step? They're, they're still you know, working the day job, building the brands in, in their spare time, but they're close to just cutting loose and, and devoting all their time to their own thing. The one lesson I share with everyone, anyone who asks, although rarely does anyone actually do it, is burn your boats. Give yourself absolutely no other option. Have one vigorous focus on one thing and you will succeed because you absolutely have no choice. 
most people don't take that, but I dare you once in your life to actually try it because you will do it. You will be amazed at what you can do. And I mean, one other issue that I would just talk about briefly is just running out of money. I mean, I think most entrepreneurs out there may not have personal funds to kind of keep themselves afloat. And that's where I was about a week ago. But uh, I don't know, have faith in yourself. Money isn't what makes us who we are. I like to think that if I'm ass broke, naked on the side of the street, I can build myself back up again fairly quickly. And that's what makes us who we are is when we're put in those desperate situations is what we'll do. And just trust in that and just go, just do you. That's something that I think uh, Napoleon Hill suggests in uh, Think and Grow Rich about burning your, your boats, just going all and not even looking back because there's nothing to go back to. Yeah, I mean, look at where we came in one year, we managed to develop our products. That's because I was still working. That's because I was comfortable at my day job. As soon as I quit, as soon as I was uncomfortable, we made 10 times the progress in four weeks as we did in an entire year. So that just goes to show the power of what it really does to you when you make yourself uncomfortable and get going. Push yourself out of the comfort zone. And I wouldn't call it desperation, but yeah, it's just that focus, single-mindedness when you have no other choice but to, to work towards your goal. Yeah, personally, I like and need to stay uncomfortable. I actually sleep on the floor in the office just because I don't like a bed. When you wake up in a bed, you want to stay there and you're comfortable and you don't want to wake up. When I wake up on the floor, I feel like I'm hungry and I need something else in life. And it, it gets my day going every morning. I used to do that while I was studying for, for some reason. Not that I do it now. I, I think my wife would mind, but... Um... <laughs> cool. Um, moving on, I still want to stay with marketing, but um, vegan cosmetics, which is basically what you're doing, is a market where, where I would imagine that the main thing driving purchases are, are ethics. So it would probably be people who don't want to harm animals with, with their choices, which may also mean that your potential reach is, is smaller. So A, is this something that you've noticed? And B, do you know how to aim for a larger segment than just ethical vegans? Yeah, okay. That, I like this question. Actually, this is a good one. The niche that you're talking about is actually the easiest niche to target. So you're right in that aspect of it. But we don't believe it's actually our largest segment of customers. As far as we see it, and from the surveys that, that we've pulled together, our data is showing that more people are attracted to the natural side of the product than they are to the vegan side of the product, which opens our, our market right up, right? right? Which is huge, which gives us two really cool things. And one is that we can enter the product with a very approachable, very easily targeted niche. And then when we're ready, when we have the marketing budget to reach a larger market, then we can market the natural side and bring the, these vegan products to everybody. Cool. So how do you do that? What has been your main marketing message so far? Yeah, so far, I mean, you'll notice on the Kickstarter campaign is we actually didn't say much about the vegan side of the product. And we, we tried to tone it more as new and innovative and all those things because that's what a Kickstarter audience wants to see. Mm -hmm. okay, like We actually are lucky to be as successful as we were in our portion of, or our segment of Kickstarter because normally a lot of vegan stuff and especially a lot of cosmetic stuff do very, very bad. There's not very many successful ones and the ones that are successful 
have raised maybe like $500 because everybody and their dog makes soaps. It's not a rare, unique thing. So we had to be make it, put a really unique, innovative, wow factor on it, right? Because the other thing that we have been scared of a little bit is vegan stereotyping. You can attract a lot of vegans, but if you go too hard on the veganism side of it, then it might create a stereotype around us where people who are non-vegan don't feel comfortable purchasing from us. So that's been something that we've been dealing with as well. So for a lot of people coming in, we've noticed that they're coming in for the natural side of it and they're, that's what they're asking about. That's what they're worried about because in our eyes, you can only get so vegan. Once you're completely vegan, you're vegan. But on the natural side of things, it's a whole scale of what people consider to be natural. Most natural products actually are still loaded with chemicals. So to be natural to our degree where you can actually eat it and there legitimately is no chemicals in it whatsoever, that's a big thing. That becomes a wow factor. How did that video go actually? I mean, okay, first of all, how many takes did you do? How much soap and cream did you eat to, to do that video? Uh, the one where we're eating the products? Yeah. That went super fast, actually. <laughs> we're all pretty easygoing and relaxed and stuff. Um, so we actually filmed the video prior to that, and we were super comfortable on camera and whatnot. We were actually just hanging out, just the team, and Han and I had a few drinks, and we were just going on about the About Us video so people can learn a little bit more about us. Um, and then after that, we just got up and just started eating the products, and Connor <laughs> just filmed it. And it, <laughs> it just yeah, it came together real fast. And no stomach issues, I assume? No, not at all, actually. And I, I actually ate quite a bit. <laughs> and I was eating a little bit. And I, you know, I went, I went full out. I was taking spoonfuls. One of you was eating soap and the other one was eating cream? Or how was that one? We ate most of it. Um, we ate conditioner. We ate the moisturizing lotion. We ate the coffee scrub. We, I took a bite, a big, big bite out of deodorant. Cool. I'm guessing you're not encouraging people to do that, though. No, no, not at all. I mean, it doesn't taste good. We don't make it for taste, but it just goes to show that our ingredients, our, our, most of our ingredients you could find in a well-equipped kitchen. There's nothing that you wouldn't understand in plain English when you're reading our stuff. And there's very few ingredients. We try to aim for about five to six ingredients per product. Yeah. Even for, you know, your average soap, that's very few. Yeah. You don't need a lot. You really don't. It's really amazing how simple it can be. And that goes for a lot of things, even on a grander scale with veganism and plant-based diets. You know, people have so many health issues and they're trying all these crazy things. Yet, if you went just down to a whole food plant-based diet, you'd be amazed that it's curing chronic diseases and cancer all over the world. And people just don't think of it. It just blows their mind, right? So I feel mm -hmm. like it's one of those situations. Yeah. I really like that you brought this comparison up because that's totally the way I feel about food. Because um that's pretty much the way we eat you know we buy fruits and vegetables and beans and rice and, and stuff like that and we cook our own meals and then you're talking to friends and you're always hearing stuff like yeah i i could go vegan but it's so costly to buy organic stuff and <laughs> all the vegan products are so expensive and i think that similar to that we're almost conditioned to think that natural products cost more and that's the way it is I'm guessing that you, especially since you were able to do, what, $70 for a pre-sale Kickstarter package of all your products, you're obviously 
doing something about that to bring the cost down? Yeah, I'll be honest. Like I, I'm no product scientist by any means, but I do think that the overpriced natural products is a complete load of shit. I mean, it's just, it doesn't need to be priced that high. The margins are just crazy. We can lower our costs because they are so beyond simple. There, there's not many ingredients. And like most products actually have 15 plus ingredients in like regular products or regular natural products. And we average about five or six, like I mentioned. The biggest aspects for us lowering our price, which was one of our main goals when we first started, is growing our own stuff, making everything in-house, and our sustainable packaging, and this is another point which is really funny, why other companies don't do this, is actually way cheaper than traditional packaging. Really? Yeah. Like if you're looking at a bottle, just a one-on-one, if you bought a bottle versus a stout bag one-on-one, bottle would cost about a dollar, maybe more, depending on the bottle type, and a spout bag would cost about 27 cents. That's really ridiculous. Because just going back to, to a very early business that we used to have years ago, it was um, growing microgreens, and we were using some biodegradable packaging there and some just regular plastic, and it was just the opposite. We, we were paying probably three times as much for biodegradable punnets. But um, that, that's pretty interesting to hear. Yeah, I mean, well, those are both plastic items, stout bag versus, um, versus regular bottle. Um, but even like uh, push tubes, biodegradable push tubes and jars are way cheaper, like half the price, maybe even less than traditional plastic deodorant uh, tubes and things like that. The one thing that does cost more, not a whole lot when you're getting to scale, is sugarcane plastics is some of some of the mm-hmm. things that, that we haven't been able to get around or use by bi- completely biodegradable stuff for we're using sugarcane based plastics and those do cost average about 15 percent more than traditional plastic but all of our other packaging offsets the very few numbers of, of packaging that we need for those which is basically just toothpaste so are there any other big factors that can help a brand like yours stay more cost attractive you said Keeping it simple, growing your own ingredients, going with biodegradable packaging because it's cheaper. Anything else to add to that list? And making everything in-house. But other than that, I guess this, to me, another one, mentally, just speaking, is the, the safety and the predictability of residual income. It allows you to run a business with lower margins because you can forecast better. Mm-hmm. Nice. Developing this were there any big obstacles that you had to overcome? Uh, the biggest obstacles overall so far have been the product creation and the money. So yeah, product creation, we've talked about a little bit, took us a long time to get there. And we're still always making things better. We never stop. And, uh, and, and money. So product creation, there's a ton of vegan products out there. There's actually nothing on the market that we've found as natural as us. Actually one brand, but they're through the roof expensive and nobody really knows about them. So putting the two together and having natural and vegan products is much more difficult, surprisingly more difficult than people would imagine because you can find vegan products, but they're still full of chemicals, mm-hmm. which in our mind, it's not good for our bodies. It's not good for the life cycle of the environment. So doing those two is surprisingly difficult, finding those together. And then, yeah, money. We've been on edge for, for, for money since we started. We're not yet out of it, but we do have a clear plan ahead. And I think that we'll be hitting 30,000 customers or so within the next two years. 
And uh, from there, our growth would be exponential. Where's your kind of break-even point? You said 30,000, you start growing exponentially. What's the number where you can keep your head above the water? Well, actually, we could hire enough people to run the whole business, including Hannah and I and a couple others, at about 1,500 customers. Which is like you're two-thirds there already. Exactly, which isn't very hard. So we feel like we're in really good hands. Nice. And what's the larger idea behind Natural Vegan? Because you, you've been talking about growing your own products and you've mentioned the, the farm and, and all that, and we haven't even touched upon that yet. So um, you mind if we spend some time now that we're oh, in, getting towards the end to, to speak about that? Yeah, absolutely. So earlier this year, we at the beginning of 2017, we bought a 160-acre permaculture farm in Rock Creek, Canada, in BC, which is about six-hour drive out of the city of Vancouver, more towards the Okanagan, which is it's a very good growing environment. So that has been a huge, huge purchase for us. And it's not a mandatory purchase, however, like we could still sustainably source all of our own ingredients, but the grand vision behind it is to be the ideal business, to inspire other businesses to take responsibility for their ecological footprints and for their general well-doing on the planet. And also to just be happy and, and live healthy. We think being happy, we think having fun is, is an integral part of life and business and health. So given that, our goal overall is to inspire other people and have a very, very happy team who is very close to nature. How, how does that run? Because 160 hectares, that's a big farm. And considering that you've also been you know, developing these products and building these brand in the last year, um, who's taking care of the farm? Yeah, the farm is very just startup stuff almost like a side project like it's not nearly at all fully developed yet and we will slowly develop it as the demand increases right as, as we increase our customer base and our profit and then have more money to put back into it but right now it's it's a small solar setup and then we just have a very small small stuff up there i mean it's winter now so there's nothing going on up there like i said it's covered in snow but we do run on 40 acres down in langley bc right now and on on that Plot of land is where we're going to be building our small factory and that's where we have rescue animals right now and where we have a nursery so the nursery that we're starting here come spring we'll be transplanting all of those onto the farm and then starting to scale that out a little bit this year in the next growing season as well as investing in more greenhouses to lengthen the growing season and whatnot and you're going to have like a animal sanctuary there as well yeah yeah another side project see we the problem is we've got a lot going on and not a lot of people and in order to be successful we really need to focus on a couple of things so i don't want people getting mad that these are side projects but they have to be otherwise we just wouldn't be where we are right what we've been doing for the animal sanctuary is one hannah i was kind of in charge of that initiative she you know adopts animals like crazy um, almost too many to put up with, but <laughs> we, we do our best. And um, in the meantime, we've been partnering with construction companies in the, in the lower mainland, and they've been very, very willing to help out. And we've been stockpiling lumber and building equipment in order to build barns and paddocks and everything that we'll need for the animal sanctuary. So as soon as we're ready to transfer all that stuff up to Rock Creek, we'll be able to build out some really, really 
crazy size sanctuary. Start like that'll be this year, starting in the spring. And by the time we get to the mass of the size we need, it'll probably take us realistically two to three years to get to a mass to the size that we expect. And in the long term, what sort of business model or holistic model does this tie into? For us, we really do think of it as a lifestyle business for us, just because we like to have so much fun with it and whatnot. Natural Vegan as a business will continue to run and try to spread our products and our vision and inspiration out to as many people as possible. Our goal is to make it incredibly easy to the point of being the obvious decision for people, whether they're vegan or interested in natural health or not just completely obvious across the board to everybody. So we would like to see it a household name in three years time to 80% of people in North America. But uh, beyond that, that will continue running the way it is with the monthly subscription model and whatnot. Expanding into new product fronts is something that we would do into food, into cleaning products. And like you were mentioning, shaving stuff. So more, there's a ton of things that we can get into. Vitamins, nutrition is another thing that we'd like to get into. Yeah, that is that side of the thing. And the, and the farm will continue to grow what we can to support the business, but will also run as a kind of an Airbnb health and wellness retreat with educational programs on permaculture farming, sustainable energy, animal welfare, healthy living, et cetera, plant-based diets, all those things. So that way we can invite the public in to see behind the scenes what we're doing as an exemplary business for people to learn from and hopefully take away and start their own things and, you know, bring that to the communities around us. That sounds like a very well-rounded idea of where, where you want to take things. Yeah. So, um, you know, final question, this was the big picture for the brand and, and for the farm. What's the big picture that you see for the world? I mean, what kind of future are you contributing to with, with what you're doing here? A sustainable one a vegan one and a happy one i would say veganism from what has many aspects from sustainability to empathy and animal welfare to healthy living and i think that is the core of everything that we want to do as well as the sustainability initiatives as far as all the environmental impacts from other businesses and individuals themselves and just being we think that happiness really is a a key to healthy living as well. So not only should we be all those other things, but it should be easy and it should be fun. And that's the future that we would like to contribute to. Nice. What year do you think we'll, we'll get there? Well, I know your partner, Matt, is going for 2030. So I'm with he's, him on that. And he's I think going by 30 by 30, yeah. Yeah. If he's going for it, we're with him. We're going to do it. That's good. Yeah, 30 by 30 sounds, sounds good with me too. That's a deal. <laughs> yeah right jamie um like i said by the time this podcast episode comes out your kickstarter campaign will have ended but where can people find more about your brand and um, try your products or you know when spring comes around come up for a visit and and see for themselves how how the farm looks and how your production works yeah you can find us anytime at naturalveganclub.com 
And uh, as far as launch time, we're thinking February, mid-February to early March is when you'll see our affiliate program start to launch out and be able to actually sign up for the residual uh, subscription stuff. And then come spring, join our email list and we'll keep everybody up to date on activities on the farm. We have lists of, of uh, volunteers. So if anybody's interested in volunteering, come in and check us out, then yeah, join the email list and you'll, you'll see all those opportunities on there. You've got your videos on Facebook, you said? We do, yeah, yeah. Right now, you know, if you're caught in the middle of it and this is released before our products are and whatnot, definitely check out our Facebook page. We got lots of really funny stuff on there and, and great stuff that we have going on with the sanctuary that we've started so far. I, for one, am looking forward to this. Like I said, when you come out with shaving products, please hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I was talking to, um, to Alex at the Dollar Beard Club there, well, they're the Beard Club now. And they're actually all natural and all vegan as well. So for the time being, yeah, check those guys out. Okay, yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, I will. I will. Cool. Yeah. Well, hey, man, thanks so much for, for joining me today. Uh, it's really great exploring what, what you're building there. And um, I, I think it's pretty impressive what you've accomplished with, with the Kickstarter. And um, good good job at showing that, you know, just like whole food plant-based diet the um natural vegan skincare products don't need to be priced through the roof <laughs> yeah yeah thank you thank you thank you for having me i mean it was a lot of fun this is one of the one of the best interviews i've done so far for sure glad to hear that and um you know all the best for the future yeah you as well you as well we'll keep in touch and uh maybe come back one day when we're you know got more to talk about yeah absolutely that's the good thing about Talking to a brand when, when it's just launching out, I would love to touch base in another year or so to, to see what you've accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. And we'd be happy to do it. Okay. It's a deal. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, cool. nice to meet you and thank you. Thanks, Jamie. Have a nice day. You as well. All right. So that was Jamie Friesen, the co-founder of Natural Vegan on episode 49 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show. Their Kickstarter campaign has ended, but their regular website is up, so you'll soon be able to try for yourself just how tasty their products really are. But you know, I would still suggest that you use them mostly on your skin. Now, as always, you'll find all the links online if you go to theplantbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash show forward slash episode 049. And if you haven't noticed yet, we have upgraded our show notes page so besides the recap and the links, you now have a timestamp summary available to make it even easier to navigate through each episode. If you haven't seen it, please go check it out and let me know what you think. And if you're wondering where the transcripts went, you can still get access to all of them if you are on the plant-based entrepreneur insider list. So anywhere you are on the page, when you sign up with your name and email, you'll get the link to the transcripts for this episode and all the past ones too. And of course, any questions or comments about the show, reach out on Facebook or just email me directly at jerry at theplanbasedentrepreneur.com. Now, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. It was a pleasure to bring you yet another behind-the-scenes look at how to launch a vegan business. And if you're thinking of starting your own, I hope this gives you the inspiration to just go and do it. Now, we will be back again soon with more. Until then, stay awesome and remember... The future is plant-based.